Well, thanks, Faith, for that introduction, and I hope you're ready for the Word of God. I know I am. I'm really keen just to spend just a few moments with you now as we just come around God's Word for a little while. Let me read some verses from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Very familiar words, but I'm sure you'll get this. So when they had come together, they asked him, that's Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, they were all looking on. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. I uh, am acutely aware that actually in the Christian calendar we're approaching a a day that uh, the Christian calendar would call Ascension Sunday. And so I just wanted to take some thoughts, just taking my cue from that, as we lead across a loose series that takes us towards Pentecost Sunday, which will culminate with Paul just sharing at the end of this month on that. And I just had some some thoughts around, what does Ascension Sunday mean? Of course, it really is drawn out of these verses in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus commissions his disciples, and then he is taken up out of their sight. Uh, I've entitled what I want to say today, uh, you would have seen it a bit earlier, my apologies, you would have seen it uh, say, tag your it, and, and I hope you understand um, what that means. It, it, the children's game, tag, pad, all kinds of different words come in. It's just a game where you run and just p- put somebody in, it's their turn to run and chase other people. And if I was to summarise these verses in some modern terminology, I think that's probably what I would use, where Jesus is saying to his disciples, tag, you're it, it's your turn now, I, I wonder what the disciples were thinking about those words. Here's this great man. They, they'd been on a roller coaster of emotions. Their great leaders brought them together as a team, and they're on the verge of taking the world with the good news of Jesus. And uh, he'd, he'd been crucified, he'd been raised from the dead. Their emotions had hit rock bottom. Now they come soaring uh, back as if to life along with the resurrection of their saviour, Jesus wondering what's going to happen now. And Jesus stood before them. He says, you guys are going to be my witnesses uh, into all of these places. And then suddenly, he disappears. Their leader, their inspiration, their breath, the guy that has brought them together, has said, in a modern sense, tag, you're it. I just wanted to try and put myself in the minds of the disciples for a moment to, to, to understand what they were thinking in the light of Jesus' return to heaven, their disappearance as far as they were concerned, his disappearance in front of them. And he said some very specific things. He said, you will be my witnesses into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It just, it made me smile when I thought about that because Jerusalem for them was not a safe place right now. They were now in an outlawed cult as far as Rome and the religious leaders of Israel were concerned, the Jewish leaders. So Jerusalem was the scary place. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you to the scary place. And then they talk about Judea. Well, that's their, that's their entire world. These are humble fishermen, tax collectors, um, farmers, gardeners, whatever they might be. But they, they didn't venture very far outside of their own country. And Judea was their entire country. That's the big place. That's what Jesus says. And then he says, I'm going to send you to Samaria. If you understand your Bible history, Samaria was a hated place by the Jews. There was, a, there was real racial tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus said, I'm going to send you to a place that you call a hated place. 
And then he said, to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, to these simple guys, this would have been incomprehensible. And Jesus says, I'm sending you to the incomprehensible places. Tag, you're it. It's your turn now. I want to really spend some moments here just really drawing from a talk that I gave earlier on the year in uh, January where we did our series on Stronger for our church. Um, and there were some things I said there that become very relevant here, a big illustration uh, that I'll draw out. Sometimes it's good for us to be reminded uh, of stuff that we have heard because we can do our learning in a theory setting and then our context change and our theory has to become practice. And I can't help but feel that the, some of the things that we would have learned back in January when we did that stronger series have now become practice for us because we're in a new context. So I want to just help us to think about that. God has a very interesting way of actually putting truth into us and then placing us into very challenging contexts. And if you feel that because of the scenario that you find yourself right in, you're in good company right now. Do you remember Jesus? Jesus was uh, at his baptism, was, was blessed by God. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was commissioned for ministry. And then the next few verses say he was thrust out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's before he actually started his ministry back in his hometown as Nazareth. What about Paul? He had that incredible encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his whole belief system shifted. And rather than launching him with a fantastic testimony into ministry, Paul was pushed into the, to the obscurity of a desert for 14 years to relearn some of the things that he had been taught as a pharisaical teacher. What about the church that was birthed at the end of Acts chapter 2? We'll hear about that a little bit later on over these coming weeks. And you think that church is just growing, a fledgling church, this new the way, the way of God, the way of salvation that, is, that it was coined as. Um, very quickly after it was birthed, was thrust and scattered throughout the whole earth under great persecution. We think, wow, that just seems to be just an awful thing to happen. Actually, I think God is up to something when he sends something our way to help us anchor our truth. You see, in our world, our society, our context has shifted drastically. Yet often out of isolation comes great commission. Out of our being pulled together, through it we'll become stronger and have a clearer focus about what God is calling us to. I find it fascinating, some statistics that have come out recently from the Archbishop of Canterbury's office, I, I understand that on the first week of lockdown in this country, there were 20 million people that visited church on that first Sunday uh, online. 20 million people in the UK alone. That's in a context where we think, or what was being said of the church, that do we really need religion anymore? Does it have a place? Is the church, the Christian church, relevant? Isn't it just full of infighting? And yet on that first time of seclusion and lockdown, People are beginning to look for answers and, and try to connect to see if the church, God's plan A, has something to offer. So if we as the church are going to respond to that call in this time of great restriction, what will that look like for us? How will we catch what God is doing in us and through us? In Isaiah 58, you'll see this verse. It says, you will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever flowing spring. 
Do you know, well-watered gardens aren't there to benefit themselves. Well-watered gardens are there for the benefit of those who inhabit those gardens. The, 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 the fruit and the beauty and the refreshment that comes isn't for the benefit of itself, it's for the benefit of those that come into those spaces. That image from Isaiah says, you will be like a well-watered garden. Sometimes I think we can misunderstand some of these promises of God and think, oh, that's, that's the refreshing of God coming into my world and, and helping me and his great provision coming into my li life and, and helping me out. It doesn't say that uh, actually you're going to have the refreshings of a well-watered garden in your life. He says you, talking of the people of God, you will be like a well-watered garden. You will be like an ever-flowing stream. Not you will be refreshed by an ever-flowing stream, but you, corporately, my people, will be like that to others. And this is where I want to revisit the illustration that I talked about in January, if you remember that. And if you want to delve a bit deeper, you can catch some of that going back to our, uh, our sermons online. Just follow our website for that. And, and I just want to link something that I'd not really seen when we first did that before to, to something a little bit more modern. In the story that we read in 2 Kings chapter 2, we see Elijah, the greatest prophet in Israel's history, the one that carried significantly the word of God to the children of Israel, bringing guidance and judgment and justice and hope of a future, coming to the end of his ministry, the end of his time. And he has this young protege with him called Elisha. Um, and at the, the, there comes a season when it is understood and known that Elijah is going to leave. His, his life is going to come to an end as they understood it. And Elijah and Elisha go on a little journey together. Um, and uh, the, the Bible just talks about in those passages where they travel from different places, a, a place called Bethel, where they believe, where Elisha believes and understands that, that Elijah's time has come to an end. He is who he says he's going to be. They go to a place called Jericho where they worship and they rest and they go to the place where Elijah is taken up in a fiery chariot away from Elisha's presence. Do you know, I just thought about that and there's some incredible parallels with Jesus and his friends. There was the place where Jesus talked to his disciples in John 6 and uh, he said, you know, when he'd lost a lot of disciples, he said, what about you guys? Are you going to leave me too? And in that moment they believed and they said, who else are we going to go to, Jesus? We've given everything up for you. In another part uh, of that story, it says that Peter says, when Jesus asks, well, who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He believed in the word of God in that moment, as did the rest of the disciples. Towards the end of Jesus' life, they come around the table of the Lord in, in that upper room for the Last Supper, and then they sing a hymn, it says, and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's that place of worship and submission to God's way. And then right at the end of Jesus' life, in Acts chapter 1, you see Jesus is there. He's commissioning his disciples, his young protégés, just like Elijah had commissioned Elijah. And before their very eyes, Jesus was taken up into heaven. If you think about that picture for a moment, I just find that quite amusing because um, it, the, the disciples were stood there and it says the angels had to come and, and, and send them on their way. They were kind of frozen in time looking at this great world that had gone before them in Jesus. The credits were rolling, if you like, on his life, and, and the disciples had to be ushered back into the real world to take on the mission 
that God had called them to. Going back to that story in Elisha, he turns around, having said goodbye with great sadness to his great mentor, Elijah. And then something happens in that story. He says that as he turned around, a cloak fell, Elijah's cloak fell, onto the shoulders of Elisha. That cloak was the symbol of Elijah's power. And it rested upon Elisha's shoulders. There was a picture there in the Old Testament that says, what was on the master in terms of the power and anointing now rests upon the servant. Jesus said to his disciples, wait in Jerusalem because my Holy Spirit is going to rest upon you and bring power so you can continue to do the works that I have done. In fact, he says something similar, something more. He says, and actually greater things will you do in my name than the things that you have seen. We need to come to that place where everything that God says to me is a greater reality than the things that are around me. We're not meant to be constricted by the world of coronavirus. I know that we have to be restricted into our homes. It's right that we understand that. But that should not constrict us when it comes to our ministry, our words, our, our encouragement, our anointing in God. We're not meant to be restricted by the things that we can see because God has given us perspective for the things that we're not able to see with our physical eyes, but he's taken us into with our spiritual eyesight. Do you know, our inheritance is not our corona-infected world and all that that looks like. Compassion will always find a way to break through restriction and share the love of God in some way. Now, what about you and me? Are we finding ways to be Jesus to the people in our world? A phone call, a text, a letter, help with people, just being able to listen to people's stories, coming alongside, making sure that you're in other people's worlds with the modern day ways of communicating, just declaring the love of Jesus in the world that God has placed us in. We live in a sin-infected world. And God didn't say, by the way, when sin entered this world, well, that's that then. That's infected. That's got the virus of sin going. I'm going to socially isolate myself away from that world to make sure that I don't get affected by the sin that is there. God said, no, no, I'm going to find a way past that. I'm going to engage with the world that I have created and bring some kind of healing to the infection of sin that touches that world. That culminates in this great plan of salvation called Jesus, who died on the cross for you and me, was resurrected again on the third day and dealt with sin. He eradicated it once and for all. Paul says these words in Corinthians, where, O oh, sin, is your sting? Where, O oh, grave, is your victory? Because Jesus has dealt the death blow to the virus of sin. But he didn't just stop there. He said, you know what? We need an antibody in this world, much like the scientists are searching today. And so at the top of that Mount of Olives, he says, guys, You've caught what I have given you. I'm going to give you my power. Now you go and bring the antibody of love and grace into this world. Begin to talk about my love and share what it is that I have done and draw people into my world. You will be my witnesses throughout the whole world. I've just got to speak to you a moment as a church. We need to make sure that we demonstrate the life of God 
in all that we do. We are saved for more than just trying to make a case for God. We're not there to compete with other philosophies of the world that we live in. This message is so important that we have the life of God in us. It's not an argument. It's not a point of view. We're not here to convince others through argument. We're here not to be containers of God's presence, but conduits of his love. We're here to share his grace through our testimony into the lives of others so they get to see who God really is. You need to understand, God is not a saver, he's an investor. He's poured himself into us and he expects a return through us. So that says this then, we're not meant to have God's provision, provision, we're meant to be God's provision to this world. Can you imagine, just for a moment in this world, where somebody came up with the cure or the antidote for the coronavirus and they just kept it to themselves? They wouldn't sell it, they wouldn't use it, they just kept it in a bottle on a shelf somewhere. What an outcry, what an outcry from the world. And yet how many of us, we choose not to share our story of God's grace, of God's love, of what he's done to transform us into the lives of others. We don't become vulnerable enough to say God can make a difference in every life. His love changes us. See, Acts 1.8, when Jesus says, tag, you're it. He's saying, you're now God's provision to this world. You're God's plan A. Church, can I speak to you for a moment? You are God's plan A of love and grace and forgiveness. It's not stuff or blessing. The provision of God is not acquisition of material blessing. The provision of God is you and me. And if we understand that, then we we need to carry the heart and the grace of God. I, I want God's presence in me. And if, that is to, if, that, if that's true of me, then that with his presence comes his burden, his heart, his love for lost people, for broken people, for wounded people. Too many claim that life, but they don't carry that burden. And Jesus had some very interesting things to say about that. You can read that in Matthew chapter 7. It says, not everybody that will come to me at the end of time who call me Lord, Lord, people that proclaimed a relationship with him, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Only those that do the will of my Father. What's the will of my Father, if I can use that quote? Was to reach the lost people and draw them back to the Father. That's what Jesus did when he walked this earth. You know, he says these words, he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. You You can translate that in another way. He says, I know who I am, But where am I? Where is my likeness? Where is my burden found in you? I don't see myself in you. If we're going to be the provision of God, then we need to be the reflectors of Jesus in all that we do, in all that we say. How do we know that we have the life of Jesus in us? Well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, look inside, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you failed the test of genuine faith. If Christ is in us, then we have a new nature. The old is gone, the new has come. We're different. The old things are passed away, it says in 2 Corinthians 5. And you know it. 
You say that you don't want your old life anymore. Ezekiel puts it like this. He says, God says, I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put a new heart and a new spirit within you. God puts a new heart in us when we are catching his burden and submitted to his, pl- his, his purpose. God's compassion becomes our compassion. The things that break God's heart start to break our heart. It just begins to happen. God's not into stuff, he's into people. He so loved the world that he gave the thing most precious to him. How about you and me? Back to our story of Elijah and Elisha. Elisha returns and we begin to read throughout the rest of that story in in 2 Kings, the the, the great exploits, the, the great deeds that Elisha did. And it's easy for us maybe just to put him on a pedestal and say, well, I can't do those miracles. God doesn't use me like that. But hang on a minute. If we just did a cursory examination, you see, church, we have an incredible opportunity in our world right now to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Stories like Elisha speaking water into a desert to quench thirsty soldiers. Can't we just begin to declare the grace and the forgiveness and the meaning of life to people that are desperately dying to find purpose in their world? We can do that. There's a story of the widow's oil. She needed something to feed her children. She had nothing left. Couldn't we as the church step in and meet the need where there's desperation, abject uh, poverty in the place there? It talks about death. In the pot in uh, 2 Kings 4, the pot of despair, the pot of death, no future. People of God, don't we have words of hope that we can speak into places of despair and give people hope? Can't your testimony transform somebody's perspective and give them hope when all they see before them is just despair? Can we not just begin to look at some of those stories and say, do you know, I, I can do that. My words can count for something. Where I go can make a difference. Who I help can reflect who Jesus is in my life. So my challenge to you today, the people of God, is will you allow yourself to become God's incredible provision to a needy world that we find ourselves in? Are you prepared to go to the scary places for for the disciples that was somewhere like Jerusalem? Something on their doorstep was scary. Some of you are working in scary places right now with the risk of infection from this virus. But there just may be that God wants to use you with a kind word, with just, just pausing in somebody's presence to be with them at the risk that you may face. It's a scary place. And God says that you're my chosen person to carry my love into that situation. Some of you are going to places you never imagined, the big places, beyond what you thought you could do. Just... What? Are you going to submit yourself and allow God to use you to be his provision in those places? Some of you are going to go to places that perhaps were hateful places, places where uh, they transcend uh, cultural boundaries, racial boundaries, places that perhaps you would, in the past, would, would not want to have been and found comfortable. And God said, but I want to use you and your story of grace in your life to carry my light and my love to people that need to hear about me because it's your turn now. And some of you, God is saying, I want to take you to places beyond your imagination, incomprehensible places. Would you submit yourself to that and just say, actually, God, wherever you take me, if it's the ends of the earth, if I can carry your grace and your love 
to somebody. I'm ready to do that. I want to say tag, you're it. But maybe you're watching this today and you've never come to a place where you've actually surrendered your life. You've just kept it in your own world and said, well, I'm in control. And something I've shared today or something that's happened in our service has caught your heart and you say, actually, I, I think there is somebody bigger than my world. There is a greater purpose than I can see in my life. I, I'm not just meant to be for, for this restricted time. There's something bigger in my world. Maybe something that I've talked about has touched your heart and you realise, actually, there is a God there and I need to surrender to him because I know he has a bigger plan in place for me. Maybe you just need to know the love and the grace and the acceptance of God in your world. Well, if you would like to respond to that, we'd love to be in touch with you. You can have a look, look at our website, www.epchurchaog.com. Right there at the top of the first page, there's a button that says, I said yes. And what that will take you to is, is a chat site that will allow you just, within our, within our context, just to say, yeah, I'd like to know a little bit more about what this guy's saying, what this church is doing. Actually, would like to come to a place where maybe you say yes to God so that he can use your grace testimony in the future. We'd love to connect with you. So why don't you follow through and we'll keep in contact and not long soon, we'd love to meet face to face if you'd like to do that. Why not click that button? Come on, let's just pray for a moment as we conclude. Father, I pray you would help us as the people of God to step into that place of being your provision. Lord, to actually hold up our hand and say, yeah, we receive that tag transition of your word, your testimony, your grace, and your love. I pray, Father, you would use us to be your provision to this world, your provision of love and forgiveness and embracing your purpose for us that we might be reconciled to you. Use us for your glory this week. I speak your protection over every single person that is listening to this prayer right now. May they know your safeguard and your hand over them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.